Yeah. There comes a moment in all our lives when we feel invited to step into something that feels like our core purpose, our core calling, something of a core mission, something greater. And the question is always, will we step forth or not? When I was in Form 2, um, one morning, our class teacher who also taught us Swahili came and said, uh, Jonathan has resigned as the class prefect. At the end of the lesson, she said that. Now, I would like us to decide who is going to continue being the class prefect. Is there anyone who is willing to be the class prefect? And, and, and you know, maybe from whose leadership is looked down upon, nobody wanted. I looked at myself and I was like, can I really be class prefect? I'm not sure. After a few minutes of silence, our class teacher said, you know, anyone? No. But I've also been thinking and I've observed and I feel like Kabucho can make a very good class prefect. What do you guys think? What do you think the whole class said? Yes. Yes, they said yes. I was terrified. I was honestly terrified. And I said, no, no, no. She tried to convince me. And unfortunately, she just had to leave it. And, um, and she said she'll know what to do the next week. And, um, and I didn't end up being class prefect. Someone else took over. Because I didn't think I could make a class prefect. Um, I've always looked at that moment uh, because it has become symbolic. Um, it has taught me a lot about how growing up, about stepping forward, and I can say I have since recovered. Um, I'm, I'm grateful. Mine, I recovered. I came across a story of someone else who had an opportunity that they missed. In the 70s, in 1976, there were two Steves um, who were working on a project. One of them was called Steve Wozniak, and the other one was called Steve Jobs. They had set up a simple company called Apple Computers. And the genius engineer, Steve Wozniak, had just developed this small personal computer that they had called Apple One. And they had just received their first huge order from one of the local uh, computer shops. And so they were about to deliver that. And they realized this is slowly becoming a business. And so um, Steve Jobs took a loan of $25,000. But then he realized that he needs help beyond themselves. Steve Jobs was about 25. Steve Wozniak was about 21. They had zero, zero business experience. And so they looked around, and Steve remembered a friend of his he had worked with before called Ronald Wayne, and they hired him. They hired him to, to do the documentations, to, 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 to give them the business advice they needed to move forward. Yeah, they were so serious about it that they offered him 10% ownership of the company. And they also said one of the his key roles, uh, because they were young and wild, would be to solve disputes. So Steve Wozniak owned 45% of the company, Steve Jobs owned 45% of the company, and he owned 10%. And they said, you will play also play a mediation role. If, 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 if we have a dispute, the two of us, that we can't resolve, you're the third person to, to, to solve. And so they, um, Ronald Wayne went and thought about it, and I'm sure he talked 
to his wife. Uh, he was in his 40s, something about when you step 40s, you take life seriously. That's, maybe that's why the, someone should be called 40. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, um, and so after 12 days, he came back to them and said, I can't, I don't want this deal. Yeah? I will give back 10% of my ownership. Maybe he just thought he has a mortgage. This guy may not be too serious. Uh, especially this guy called Jobs. He's such a personality to deal with. But anyway, he handed over his 10% ownership for $800. He gave it back. So, um, today, if he was still a 10% owner of Apple, how much do you think that would be worth? A hundred billion dollars. Can you imagine that, right? So he was interviewed, or Steve Wozniak was interviewed and about it, and he said, you know, nobody could have seen the big picture then. After all, we only had Apple One, you know. And, 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 and he was asked, um, uh, Ronald Wayne is still alive. Do you ever regret it? He said, no. And based on what I knew at that point, I made the best decision possible. And he ended up, he's, he's lived long, successful life. Um, but he said, I regret one thing. Um, many years later, after people knew my story, someone, a collector of antiques, came to collect that first contract, which I was offered 10, 10% ownership, and I sold it to him for $500. I recently saw that it sold again for $1.6 million. Now that I regret. Yeah? <laughs> but Ronald Wayne missed an opportunity. Maybe he looks back and is like, what what could it have been? We live in a world where a lot is at stake. We all have a call on our lives for the purpose of stepping fully into the life that God has for us uh, and to respond fully to that because waiting on the other side of a response is someone in need, someone who might benefit from your stepping forth. There's a quote I like from uh, Howard Thurman. You know, there are a few quotes that I have held on to, and this is one of them. And Howard Thurman says, do not ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what, what makes you come alive, and then go do that. Because the what the world needs is people who have come alive. Right? Maybe you hear, what does the world need? No, no, no. Instead, he says there's, a, there's something that has a bigger stake. What makes you come alive? Go do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And people who have come alive will end up doing the things they were made to do. And so today, uh, we turn again. We return to our text of last week, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 to 12, so that we can see what this looks like uh, more and more. Exodus 3, verse 1 to 12. Once again, Moses is one person who lived his life in seasons of 40s, right? 40 years as prince of Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, and 40 years leading Israel. 40, the sermon today. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush 
is not burned up. When the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to see, he called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, come, clo come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place which you are standing is holy ground. He said, Father, I am the Lord. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a land to a good to, 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 to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hevites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, uh, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And he said, I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that it is I who sent you. When, when you have brought the people out of, the, out, out of Egypt, you shall worship me on this mountain. And that's the word of the Lord for us this morning, right? This is a story where at the heart of it is a God who swings into action, a God who comes down to bring freedom and restoration to a people. That is the point of a story. I have seen, I have seen how they are oppressed. And so I have come down to deliver them. Those are the words. That is the heart of the story. And also tied to that story is how God moves and acts. Then God says something so radical in verse 10. So come, I will send you to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. It is God doing the delivery, yet it is God who says, therefore, that's why I want you to come. I want to send you. Yeah? As I deliver my people, you will be the means through which that deliverance, that blessing, that goodness will come. So God is on the move to heal, to save, to restore the world. But God is on the move to heal, to save, and to restore the world through us. So come. I will send you to Pharaoh's heartland, to the heartland of brokenness and oppression. That's where I want you to go to embody my goodness fully, to do the work that I have called you to do. Then Moses does what everyone else in his shoes would have done. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Isn't that how we always respond. The task comes to us and it's so big. It's so overwhelming. And then we look at who we are and our capabilities and we are no match to what God thinks. And our first instinct is always, who am I? Who am I really to face up to Pharaoh? Who am I to step fully into this thing that God has called me to do? 
Yeah. I don't know whether maybe for many of us it's comforting to know that Moses also suffered from a chronic case of imposter syndrome. He looked at himself and he could not see how he would be the one to face Pharaoh. But when God looked at him, he knew exactly that this, this is the man for this task. Yeah? And I want us to look briefly at the background of Moses' life so that we can see maybe what God saw in Moses. Moses was born to a Levite family at a time of great distress. It is said that his father was a wise priest named Amram, and his mother was a powerful woman called uh, Jochebed. When Moses was born, Moses was born the third child in the family. The eldest was Miriam, the second born was Aaron, third born was Moses. Uh, it was a tough time because when Moses was being born, Pharaoh had decreed, uh, Pharaoh had decreed that every child born a male should be killed. He wanted the population to die off, or maybe he felt threatened that someone might arise to cause a storm in the system. Yeah? And I was thinking about that, and I said, Pharaoh always feels threatened when God is about to do something, and the oppression becomes was. So even as Moses was being born, Moses outmaneuvered the oppressive regime of Pharaoh just for the sake of being born. Moses was born fighting Pharaoh, so to speak. When his mother could hide him no longer, he placed him in a watertight basket and placed that basket on the river Nile and asked Miriam, the oldest child in the family, to keep watch. It so happens that as Pharaoh's daughter, whom history has given the name Batia, came swimming in the river, she saw the baby and took pity on this child and adopted her as her own. It was, it was then that Miriam sprang out of hiding, approached the princess and said, can I call one of the Hebrew women to nurse this child for you? Upon which... Pharaoh's daughter agreed, and Miriam ran and called who? Her mom. Her mom to nurse Moses. So Moses grew up in the palace, brought up closely by his biological mother, right under Pharaoh's nose, as one of the great princes of Egypt. Now, is this a perfect coincidence or could it be that God was working out his redemptive plan long before the bush burned? For who else could have been qualified to negotiate the freedom of God's people than Egypt's own prince? You see, as Moses grew up, he learned the way of the Egyptians. He was groomed to be a leader, a prince of Egypt, and perhaps maybe one of Pharaoh's successors. Moses was therefore trained in the law and politics of Egypt. Moses was trained in leadership and governance and military leadership. For 40 years, Moses had the best education and exposure that anyone could have in the world at that time. I think we're just trying to look at the statement, who am I to face Pharaoh? Yeah, but something else was also happening to Moses as he grew up. Moses' main caregiver was his mother. And if you think about it, 
I think Moses came from a family that decided not to bow down to Pharaoh's oppression. If you hear that Pharaoh is gonna kill any child, why go ahead and get pregnant for a third time, right? I want to believe it wasn't an oops, maybe. I want to believe that it was intentional. I want to believe that they said, Pharaoh has given this decree, but who is Pharaoh? They go ahead and they get a third child. They go ahead and discover, oh, it's a boy, and Pharaoh is coming for them. Yeah? They hide the child for three months, and when they could hide him no longer, yeah, they put that plan into, into action. Now, that is not mere coincidence. I think Jochebed and maybe Miriam planned it, calculated it. They knew Batia came to swim in that river. And they knew the exact times she came. I don't think they put Moses there overnight and over day. No, I think they just brought him perhaps even just an hour before Batia. You know, this is a family that refuses to bow down to oppression. They just say, this child will live. And so it so happens that that plan works out. Batia picks the baby. Miriam is just in the right place at the right time and calls Moses' mom. Um, so they were doing their best, leaning towards life in the midst of great oppression. So here's the thing that I wanted to, to tell you about uh, this family. The other important thing about Moses and his upbringing, being raised up by his mother, is that as he grew up in the heart of Egypt, in the heart of the palace, Moses' mother had the chance to give him a Jewish identity, to remind him that you may be a prince of Egypt, yeah? but at the heart, you are Hebrew. You are the son of Amram, the son of, the son of all the way to Levi, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. And there is a promise from Abraham. We are a people of God. He was formed in that at the heart. And do you know what else Jochebed taught her son? She also taught her, taught him, our people are living under great oppression. You have a great opportunity of growing up in this palace. Do not forget your people. And beyond just forgetting your people, do not forget the ways of justice, the ways of goodness. And so Moses grew up as a God-fearing man. I want to believe that. He grew up as someone who loved justice. And that's why, that's why the next time we see him out of the palace, he looks at an Egyptian beating an Israelite, and he's overcome by anger. It's not something random. It is what he has been knowing in his heart throughout all his upbringing, and he kills the Egyptian. Yeah? The next day, he sees some two Israelites and says, that's not who you should be. You should know better than this. But yeah, So that's who Moses was. I wonder if Moses' parents, when they were bringing up Moses, I wonder if they knew they were raising the future liberator of God's people from, from slavery. And I think that's a very relevant point for, for us today. This day being Father's Day, I couldn't help but see all the implications of parenting in, in, in that story. Though Moses grew up 
in the heart of Egyptian power and knowledge and culture and religion. Though he grew up as a prince of Egypt in every way, Moses' heart and character were formed in the ways of God as a Hebrew and Jewish child. We live in a world when those of us, where those of us who are parents, you will always pause and say, it is difficult to parent in this generation, right? I, I think parenting becomes more complex as the generations go by. Sometimes I look at my own upbringing and I was like, it must have been a little bit easier for my parents. They didn't deal with as many things as we're dealing with right now. Now I'm just looking at my child and I'm like, how do you raise a child? In a way that they are ready to be a gift to this world when their time comes. With all the challenges of technology and all the things you hear, you can be afraid and terrified because we live in a culture that is anything but friendly to children. Yeah? And now I look at that and I'm a bit terrified. Then I think about them growing up and being parents and I'm like, oh my goodness, what will the world be like? Yeah? It, it's, it's not an over... Um, it's not hyperbole to say that it can be compared to that time when Moses was growing up. Yeah, you can imagine raising a child in the heart of Pharaoh's home, yeah, where he is not supposed to express anything about those slaves, yet he's supposed to have an identity of a Jew and a Hebrew son of a God-fearing human being, yeah, where he's supposed to go follow Pharaoh around as he worships his idols, yeah, but. I want to imagine that Moses' mother took it upon herself and said, no matter what the outside world may be, you can form something in the inside world that will be strong enough to stand against that. And to me, I was looking at that story and I was saying, that is one of the most profound things. I don't know, I can't give you a map for parenting in today's world for those of us who are parents, because it's a complex world. Yeah, but I can just, maybe we can just draw inspiration from Amram and Jochebed, who said, in this moment of greatest oppression, we are going to get another child. And we are going to raise our children to be a light in the midst of this. We don't know how to do that, but perhaps, perhaps we can ground them in the ways of God. We can teach them about our God. And perhaps you can form in them uh, a strong and robust character. So, beloved parents who may be here and those who long to be parents, who, wherever you are, in your hands are young children. Their destinies may not be in your view yet, but you only need to give them a faith that sustains them in their everyday life, wherever they, wherever they are. Cultivate them in them, a way to turn to God to return to God, a way to stand in God's love wherever they find themselves. Form in them a character that is honest and genuine, a good character upon which they can build the rest of their lives. And then when the time comes for them to leave your hands and go into the world, just keep committing them to God's presence. At some point, in the story, we don't hear about Moses' parents anymore. We don't know what happens to them. I want to imagine that at some point, maybe at the age of six, maybe it could have been 10, Batia looked and said, this child is big enough. Jochebed, bye-bye. Go back to your people. And Moses was left 
I don't know at what point Moses was left in the palace. But whatever that point is, Moses had, the mother had already sown a seed that kept him going for the rest of his life alone in the palace, overwhelmed by an identity that was not his. I guess it tells us that we are not to be caught in the prevailing culture so much that we forget our task of raising humans and the care and our, the humans and our care to be who God made them to be. I look at that story and it's a perfect description of what Paul means when he says, do not be conformed into the patterns of this world, but be renewed. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's almost like it tells us there's something, no matter what's going around, there's something inward that can be so powerful and strong to guide us, navigate the world. All right. Moses, back to Moses and the burning bush. God sends him to face Pharaoh and he says, really God, seriously, who am I? Who am I to go and face Pharaoh? So we've seen Moses's pedigree back background and you're like this, you know, you can see it. This was just the right person to, to face Pharaoh. Uh, but despite that, Moses was not shielded or sheltered from life complexities. No matter how good they did, he still had to face his own mistakes, the consequences of his own mistakes. Soon after, Moses kills someone. Kills. I'm sure Jochebed and Amram were not happy when they heard that. It broke their heart. Soon after, he's found out, and he runs away as a fugitive. Maybe he never even had a chance to say goodbye to his parents. Maybe he never had a chance to say goodbye to his brothers. He just ran off. Maybe they thought they had lost him forever. Yeah. So at that point, it all came ahead. It, it, it all came together and, and crashed. And so he, fl he flees into the wilderness, marries Zipporah. And for 40 years, he becomes a master shepherd. Do you know why master shepherd? If you do one thing, year in, year out for 40 years, whatever it is, you are a master, right? <laughs> so Moses, if Moses just took care of sheep, he became a master shepherd. And, and I'm sure maybe he resigned himself to that. He thought that was all he amounted to be. After all, he had, blew, he had blown it up. The moment he fled seems to be for him the death of a dream. His act of killing the Egyptian was not as wrong as we see it, or maybe it was a misguided, it was a misguided attempt to leave his calling. Deep down, deep down, I'm sure Moses was burdened by slavery. Deep down, Moses felt like he could do something about it. Like he could be a liberator. And at the ripe age of 40, he says he can't stand it anymore. He's going to do something about it. He's going to make a move. He kills the first person. So he's trying to live out his destiny, albeit in a misguided way. But when everything falls apart, he feels like his dream has died. A burning bush. A burning bush is a weird way of getting someone's attention. But anyway, if you're in the desert, in the wilderness, and there's no internet, how else do you get someone's attention, right? So God picks a burning bush, a burning bush. It's burning, it's blazing, it's bright, it's hot. 
but it's not being consumed. And so Moses stops, he looks. And he notices there's something odd about it and looks again and draws closer. And when he, he went there, God calls him out of the bush. Why a burning bush? Perhaps God knew something needed to be reignited in the heart of Moses. At the end of it, the burning bush experience, you know, at the end of the burning bush experience, maybe the fire went, died out, but there was another fire that was burning, this time in the heart of Moses. And because of that fire, Pharaoh's camp was never the same again. Moses would go knocking on those doors, saying, let my people go. He caused trouble in the heart of Pharaoh so much that he turned the empire upside down. And eventually it led to the liberation of the people. Yeah, can you see how apt that is? The burning bush, God knew something needed to be reignited in the heart of Moses, and it was. And it was. That fire continued burning in the heart of Moses. The burning bush reminded Moses in response to the question, who am I to face Pharaoh? It reminded him, Moses, you are a politician extraordinaire, able to be a force of opposition to Pharaoh's oppressive regime and negotiate for the freedom of the people. Moses, you are a lawmaker of the highest caliber, able to shape the laws that would govern the lives of God's people and form a new nation. Moses, the burning bush reminded him, you are a leader of the highest quality, able to found a nation of ex-slaves while wandering around in the desert. The burning bush reignited the purpose and destiny that Moses was, 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 was born for all along. I won't promise that in your lifetime you'll be walking somewhere and you will encounter a burning bush, right? But I can assure you that time and again, God does step into your life. Time and again, God does interrupt the normal flow of things in your life. And when you stop and look, you hear a voice calling your name in the most tender way, Moses, Moses. Come no closer. I am sending you somewhere. The burning bush reminds us that God is a God of destinies. He never forgets us. Despite life's determination to silence us and take away our voices. And even if that happens, even if something has happened in your life to silence your voice, the burning bush reminds us that we that we may be in, an, in a forgotten and obscure wilderness for decades, but God's fire still finds us out and comes to us and we look in amazement and hear the loving voice of God once again calling us to purpose. Come alive. Come alive. Come alive. The loving, God of, the loving voice of God saying, what has been silenced in your life? 
bring God to it and let, it, let him light, up, light it up for you. Yeah. And maybe we can apply that to today for all the fathers being here. I know that we are all on many different destinies and many different paths and many purposes that God has called us to. But if you're a dad, uh, there's one destiny that is unmistakable. You are a dad, right? You are a dad. You don't need a burning bush to remind you, go back here. Yeah? But I hope you leave this place with a new fire, yeah? a new fire to go back to your fatherhood and just be the best dad that you can be because it will make the greatest difference in the world, right? And, and, and whoever you are, even if you're a mom, this is not just for the dads, this is for all of us. What has God been calling you to? What has God been calling you to? Yeah. And, and, and I want you to think about even especially those things that weigh on us, that we keep pushing back, yeah? That we keep pushing back. You know, I tend to think, I tend to think the burning bush was also a sign of God's impatience with Moses' hesitation. I don't, I, I think Moses never forgot his people. Moses never lost the idea that he could do something about it. But for 40 years, he had resigned himself to the comfortable life of being a master shepherd. And now at this point, and even as you read the story into chapter four, you will see it, it climaxes with, with God being angry, burning in anger with Moses. Stop giving excuses. Go, go, right? So the burning bush may have also been Moses's, God's impatience. What, what have you been pushing back? What have you thought is too overwhelming for you that you don't want to step there? Today, I just want you to live here with knowing this. Let the story of Moses inspire you. Yeah? Let that fire keep burning. Just step in there. Step in there with God. When Moses said, who am I? What does God tell him? I will be with you. He doesn't list for him the CV as we have done. He just says, this is what matters. I will be with you. And so today, God will be with you. A story is told of a Jewish rabbi known as Zusha. I wonder why he had a Swahili name. Because he lived in 17, the year 1718 to 1800 in the country that is now Ukraine. He was a great spiritual teacher. He impacted the lives of so many people. Um, However, as he lay in his deathbed, certain that his life had come to an end, he appeared a man who was in great distress, as if something had gone, as if he was remembering something in life that, that, that he hadn't settled. And so he was in great distress. And one of his eager students came up to him and said, Rabbi Zusha, why the long face? Why the long sad face? When, when we look at you, when we look at the life you have lived, you have been as kind, as wise as Moses, and as kind as Abraham. You know, they said, when we look at the history of us as a people, we can only compare you to the, to the highest towering figures of Israel, of Jewish history. Moses and Abraham. Abraham. And this Rabbi Zusha, still with tears in his face, looked at his students and said to them, no, I am not worried of the afterlife in any way. I am, however, worried that they will ask me not why I was more like Moses, not why I was not more like Moses, 
or Abraham, but they will ask me why I was not more Rabbi Zusha. And I think that's our invitation today. That's what burning bushes remind us to. You've been hesitating. You've been standing on the edge so long. Just go into the life I have called you to. And if you are ever wondering who am I to face Pharaoh, just remember that God will be with you. God will be with you. As Howard Thurman says, because what this world needs is people who have come alive. On the other side of that, so many people are longing for, for what you can bring, for what you can bring. I pray that you will encounter God pursuing you in whatever wildernesses you may find, you may be facing, and realize that he's calling you back to your true self, to live a life in partnership with him for the blessing of many people. Do not, do not hold back, lean into that. And remember that God is a God who restores however long it takes, 40 years, 40 years, God waiting on Moses, yeah? And when he was convinced, he didn't, he didn't matter that he was an 80 year old man, God's fire went with him. You know that moment I told you guys in my, in my form two when I said no to being a class prefect? That moment has been a symbol for me. It reminds me of the crisis of my teenage life. The crisis when I thought the world was against me, silencing my voice, uh, telling me in a very loud voice, who do you think you are to flourish and to thrive in this life? That moment in form two did that. But I stand here also as a testimony that God does restore. God does restore. A few years ago when the invitation came, Bucho, would you be willing to lead this church? I didn't know much, yeah, but I just said yes. I just said yes because I felt that fire burning in me. Um, where do you need to say yes in your life? Where do you need to say yes? And sometimes it takes God's burning to awaken you to that. So let's pray. Let's pray. I, I want you to take a minute and look back and think about your life. What is one area in your life that feels just complex, right? Maybe God is not causing you to calling you to literally face Pharaoh in uh, political systems. Maybe just God is just calling you to begin with your very life. Is there a relationship? Is there a situation? Is there a circumstance you have known for a while? And time and again, you say, who am I to venture into that? I just want you to hold it before God as we pray. Our loving Father, we all come through a world that loves to that seems to break us more than build us, seems to silence us more than empower our voice and our, and our power, more than connect us to our calling. But today we are being reminded that you're a God. You're a God who never forgets. You're a God who reignites the dreams and hopes that have been dead. You're a God who fires us up to move into life, bearing your light, and facing whatever darkness that the world may have. And sometimes you just call us 
call us to do the noble work of our daily lives. So I want to bring this, my brothers and sisters, to you this morning. I want you to remind each of them that you have empowered them in a way that they cannot imagine. I want you to remind each one of them that though it may not be an easy road, they have your guaranteed presence to walk with them. I want you to awaken them in them the passion, the dreams that, that have always been there. I want you to, I, I pray that it burns in them, in their hearts, in a way that no pharaoh can quench, in a way that each of us steps into life being a great blessing than we could ever imagine. In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen.